0: Let's open our Bibles together at this time too. The Book of Acts, chapter sixteen, and verse six. Acts sixteen six for our message from the Word of God this morning. Acts sixteen six in the Church Bible can be found on page eleven seventy one if you need a little help finding it. Today's date is January 1st, 2023, New Year's Day here at Faith Bible Church. Today's text is going to be in Acts 16, verses 16 through 24. And the title of this morning's message is, Satan's Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) Satan's Empire Strikes Back. And we begin with the story of a man who went to an Italian restaurant one evening, and he saw on the menu that that day's special was called the Star Wars Surprise. <laughs> and he liked the movie, so he ordered the special. But when the waiter bought it out, it turned out to be nothing but a pastry. And he told the waiter, well, there must be some mistake because I ordered the Star Wars surprise. The waiter said, yep, that's it. Star Wars surprise is only one cannoli. Yeah. It's only one <laughs> You know, a lot of people, a lot of people confuse Star Wars with Star Trek. Yeah. It's a Wookiee mistake. <laughs> 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 well, as you probably know, the second Star Wars movie was called The Empire Strikes Back. And here in Act 16, The Apostle Paul has just led a woman named Lydia to the Lord, and Satan knew that this was going to be the start of something big. Because, as we saw in our scripture reading this morning, he knew God had just given the Apostle Paul a vision calling him to Lydia's hometown in Philippi of Macedonia, there on the tip of Europe. And as we talked about last week, this was the beginning of something big, because once the gospel got to Europe, it took off like a house of fire. And then it, it radiated out to the rest of the world. And the devil wanted to nip that thing in the butt if he could to keep that from happening. So in response to this first convert, Satan had his empire strike back. The story begins in verse 16 in your Bible where it says, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer that a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, a damsel who brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So Satan begins his counterattack here by sending a demon-possessed girl in Paul's way. And he picked that particular day to sender. Because you'll notice it says that they were on their way to prayer. Now that means they were on their way to the Jewish prayer meeting where Lydia got saved the week before. Satan intercepted Paul on his way there because he didn't want Paul getting another shot. Preaching to those women in that prayer meeting. And as we also saw in our scripture reading this morning up in verse 13, that prayer meeting was on the Sabbath. And if Paul is still meeting with those women on the Sabbath day, that means that the The Philippian Grace Church that grew out of that women's prayer meeting, that hasn't gotten started yet. Because Grace Churches have always met on Sunday, as you see in your first reference in Acts 20 in verse 7, where it says, The first day of the week, when the disciples came together, Paul preached. And then you see it again when Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16:2 Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Now, The reason God has us meet on a different day of the week than the Jews is to reflect a dispensational change, folks. Jews back under the law had to do works like feeding and clothing people before they could rest in knowing that they were saved. That's why the writer of Hebrews wrote to those Hebrews in Hebrews four, four eleven. God did rest the seventh day from all his works. There remaineth, therefore, a rest to the people of God. And then he tells those Hebrews, "Let us labor, therefore." to enter into that rest. Let us do the works that we have to do to rest in knowing that we're saved. But, folks, we don't do good works to be saved, works of any kind. We do works like feeding and clothing people because we're saved. That's why our Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8-10, to For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of works like that. For we are his work, his workmanship. He did all the work in saving you. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So in other words... We rest in what Christ did for us on the cross to get saved. Then we work for him to thank him. That's why our day of rest comes before our work week. Israel's day of rest comes after their work week because they can't rest in knowing they're saved till after they've done the work. See how that works? It's the reason that Christians have always been the ones, usually the ones, who run soup kitchens and rescue missions and help people in other ways as well. Now, that is a different explanation that you're going to hear from non-grace pastors as to why we worship on Sunday. They say it's because the Lord rose from the dead on Sunday. But the problem with that is, the Lord's resurrection saved kingdom Jews as well as us members of the body of Christ, right? So, that wouldn't be a really good reason to switch the day we meet. But, while meeting on the Sabbath day shows that this Grace Church hasn't gotten started yet, Paul had one convert. And one convert was obviously enough to get the devil's attention, because he wanted to keep the gospel from getting any kind of foothold in Europe and spreading to the rest of the world. So he sent this demon-possessed girl to confront Paul before he got to the meeting. Now, as you know, if you know your New Testament, there's different kinds of demon possession in the Bible. Uh, some of those kinds did bodily harm to the people they possessed, as you see in Luke 9:39, where uh, 38 and 39, where a man cried out, "Master, look upon mine only child." A spirit, obviously an unclean spirit, taketh him, and he suddenly cries out, and it teareth him, that he foameth again and and bruises him. But the spirit here in Acts 16 is not like that. The spirit here in Acts 16 is called a spirit of divination. Now that's the the noun form of the verb to divine. And to divine means to speak for God. Men used to think that those divining rods they used to find water (laughs) underground, they thought the way they worked was the (laughs) gods were telling them where to dig. And the Bible says in Ezekiel 13, 7, it talks about a divination, whereas ye say, the Lord saith it, diviners spoke for God. They said what the Lord said. Now pagans in the Bible, like the Philistines, they had diviners who they claimed would speak for their gods, as you see in 1 Samuel 6, 2, where it says that the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do to the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith we shall send it to his place. When the Philistines uh, stole the ark of the covenant from Israel, God cursed them with hemorrhoids so in other words they found that keeping the ark was a real pain in the rear <clears throat> now and I, i'm having fun but i'll tell you did you ever wonder what, why someone would ever say you're a pain in... well it comes from the bible <laughs> what are the kinds of pains in the rear do you get Well, as you can see from that verse there, after God gave hemorrhoids to the Philistines, they asked their diviners to speak for their gods and tell them what to do with the ark. Now, obviously the Philistines had their diviners on retainer, we would say. (laughs) But here in Acts 16, People had to pay this damsel's masters if they wanted to consult with her as a diviner. And you know what? That's something that people still do when they're wondering what the gods want them to do. They go see a diviner who is sometimes called a spiritual advisor if you've seen those signs as you're driving down the road. They go see diviners to help them make decisions in life. Like the Philistines were trying to do. But did you notice in verse 16 that it also calls that damsel a soothsayer? Now that is a specific kind of divination. We just read that the Philistines had diviners, right? Well, Isaiah 2, six talks about soothsayers like the Philistines. Now, a soothsayer is a diviner who speaks for the gods by telling them the future, making predictions about what's going to happen to them in their lives. Hey, if you know what's going to happen in the future, that makes making your decisions a whole lot easier, doesn't it? So all that stuff is intertwined, soothsaying, and divinating. Now, by the way, that that word damsel there in the Bible is used for young ladies of different ages, but as far as I can tell, it's always used for a virgin. And I started thinking about it, well that probably explains Why, in the movies, soothsayers are always virgins who lose their power to soothsay if they lose their virginity. Nod your head if you're carnal enough to have seen a movie like that. That made me feel better. Now, this damsel, she must have been really good at soothsaying because it says she brought her masters much gain. In fact, she was so good at it that she had masters, plural. Did you notice that? As in more than one. She was so good at raking in the cash that there was a whole group of men who wanted a piece of her action. And that means, think it through, that means she had a lot of people consulting her, right? And that means she was a person of considerable influence in that community. And that made her somebody that Satan was going to be able to use against the community. But how did Satan think that this damsel was going to be able to stop Paul? I mean, why would he think Throwing a soothsayer in Paul's path would stop him. Well, did you notice back up a couple of references in that first Samuel six two reference that the Philistines called for their diviners and their priests. Soothsaying is associated with religion in the Bible, just as it is today. Some people consult soothsayers because that's their religion. They don't believe in God. They believe in spirits. So they consult spirits. But most people who consult soothsayers have a normal religion. They just combine their religion with soothsaying, don't they? See, yeah, I'm a Catholic or I'm a Presbyterian, but I'm going to go see this soothsayer anyway. And that's what the Philistines did. They combined, look look at, um, well, before I tell you, what was the name of the God they worshipped? Anybody remember? god, the fish God. Sounds fishy to me, but that's who the, the, guy, the guy that kept falling over and they had to keep propping them up. How sad was that? Your God keeps falling over, you got to prop him up. <laughs> well, they worshipped the God named Dagon, but they consulted with soothsayers. And that's what Satan was hoping to accomplish here in Philippi with this damsel. He hoped that getting people to mix divination with what Paul preached would stop people from getting saved. You see, Satan had already tried brute force (laughs) to stop Paul. I mean, remember back in Acts 14, he had Paul stoned to death. But when God raised Paul from the dead, and Paul just kept on preaching like the Energizer Bunny, Satan said, well, that's not going to work. Brute force isn't going to stop that guy from getting the gospel out. So plan B was to corrupt the gospel by getting people to combine it with divination. And you know that's what's up here because of what the demon in this damsel says in verse 17 in your Bible. The same followed Paul and us and cried, Saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God which show unto us the way of salvation. Well, let me ask you, is that true or not? Shake your head up and down. Of course it's true. But it was sure not what you'd expect a demon-possessed girl to say. Unless she was trying to get people to think that she and Paul were playing for the same team. She wanted them to think that divination was connected to the gospel that he proves, that what she was doing was connected to what he was doing. Folks, this is, this is Satan's empire striking back. In an insidious way. And if it sounds familiar to you, it should. Because it's the same tactic that the devil used on Israel in the Old Testament. Do you remember? Do you remember what happened when King Saul needed help making a decision and God wasn't answering his prayers? So what happened in 1 Samuel 28.8? Saul came to the woman by night and said, I pray thee, what's that next word? Divine unto me by the familiar spirit. And you know what? Satan didn't just get Israel's king messed up with Susay. He had the entire nation. Isaiah told God in Isaiah 2.6, Thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Israel, the house of Jacob. Why? Because they're soothsayers like the Philistines. Now, that didn't mean that the Jews forsook God for, for divination. Satan got them to combine divination with Judaism. Look what it says in 2 Kings 17, 17. They cause talk about the Jews. They caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire. In other words, they sacrifice their children and used divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord. So what's the connection to Judaism? Well, the Jews were already sacrificing animals as part of their religion, weren't they? Satan just got them to combine their religion with divination by sacrificing their children as human sacrifices. you ever wonder where they got an idea like that? They got it from nations, soothsaying like, nations, like the Philistines. They did that to their children. And once the Jews started soothsaying like the Philistines, it wasn't long before they started sacrificing like the Philistines. I guess they figured if sacrificing animals was good, sacrificing people would be better. I mean, if sacrificing their, their valuable animals made God happy, then... Sacrificing something even more valuable to them would make God even happier. Now, sacrifices, they were part of the old covenant of the law, though, right? When Satan saw things starting to change in the New Testament, he stopped trying to combine divination with Israel's religion of law. And he started trying to combine divination with the Lord's new covenant ministry. Let me show you how he did it. When the Lord was out healing people and casting devils out of them, look what happened in Luke four forty-one. Devils came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. Now let me ask you about that. Was that true? Yeah. And in those days, they had a name for what those demons were doing. They called it preaching the gospel. The gospel in those days that you had to believe to be saved was Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So the Lord had his 12 apostles going around saying what you read in John 20, 31. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Why? That you might have life, eternal life, through his name. Well, Isn't that what that demon just said? So, why would Satan's demons want to go around preaching the gospel? Ah, Folks, it was so they could add things to the gospel later and combine what the Lord was saying with divination and soothsaying. So, when those demons said things like that, the Lord said things like this. <laughs> Mark 1.25. Jesus rebuked that demon saying, Hold thy peace. Shut up. And come out of it. The Lord told that demon to put a sock in it and pipe down. And he said it again in Mark 3.11 and 12. Our unclean spirits cried saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. He didn't let them get a word in edgewise. As you see in your last one there on the page, he in Luke 4.41, he rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they all knew that he was Christ. But, as you can see from those references there, those demons just wouldn't quit it. The only thing that stopped them from going around saying Jesus is the Son of God is when God put that program on hold and raised up the Apostle Paul and sent him out with the new gospel of the grace of God. That stopped Satan from going after the Lord in 12 and got him going after Paul. You know most pastors think that eh, Paul preached the same thing the Lord did same message but Satan knew better didn't he He recognized the dispensational change that most pastors miss and he changed his ministry like some of them should change theirs But now Satan he's out to contaminate Paul's gospel of grace and once this devil and this damsel got started, he just wouldn't quit. As you see in your next verse, in your Bible now, in verse 18. This he did. Going around saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God that show us on the way of salvation. This did she many days. She didn't just do it once and shut up. But Paul, being green, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that same hour. That demon followed Paul around many days, it says, trying to pervert the gospel. And that begs a question. How come Paul took so long to cast him out? I mean I'm sure he was as grieved with the guy with the demon in the beginning as he was later, right? So why wait all those days to, mu- to muzzle her? And the only thing I can figure out is that Paul wanted to give that demon-possessed girl time to gather a crowd. Don't forget All we're told on the first day when the damsel met Paul is she met Paul on his way to prayer. So if Paul cast the demon out right away, nobody would have seen it. And that means nobody would have seen Paul reject his testimony by silencing it. They say P.T. Barnum's the one that said there's no such thing as bad publicity. (laughs) Well, Paul figured if this girl was so well-known in that area, why not let her draw an audience? But now, remember, this demon wasn't just following Paul, was she? Look back at the beginning of verse 17 there where it says the same demon possessed woman followed Paul and us. The devil was also following the men who stood with the Apostle Paul and for the past 2,000 years that's been us. We stand with the Apostle Paul, grace believers, for the past 2,000 years. Satan has continued to follow Paul's followers, trying to trying to pollute the gospel of grace. And I think the many days that the devil followed Paul and his helpers around there, there are a type of that two thousand years that he's he's been following us. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, Satan can't have been trying to combine divination and soothsaying with Christianity because, well, 2,000 years later, (laughs) there are no diviners or soothsayers in Christian churches. But in the Old Testament, divination is also associated with some other things. And over the past 2,000 years, folks, Satan has used some of those other things on Christianity, things like what you read there in your next reference in Zechariah 10 and verse two. The idols have spoken vanity, and the diviners have seen a lie. Back in the Old Testament, divinations also associated with idolatry. Well, I got a question for you. Did, did Satan use idolatry to pollute the people of Israel in the Old Testament? <laughs> if you have to stop and think about that, just, just start reading your Bible through this year, and it won't be long until you see that that's true. Well, has Satan used idolatry to pollute Christianity Amen. in Catholicism? Hey, folks. The church that I grew up in, not too many uh, years, miles from here, had statues and images of the saints. They got like 10,000 of them. And many of those saints are what they call patron saints. They're the ones that Roman Catholics pray to, thinking that those patron saints speak for God. And can help them in certain areas. For instance, when they need to make a decision like Philistines made, they look to the guy named Saint Ignatius of Loyola. Sound familiar? Saint Ignatius of Loyola is the patron saint of making decisions. Folks, that's the spirit of divination and it's been in Christianity for nearly 2,000 years. Do Catholic leaders go around saying the words of the gospel like Daniel's spirit of divination did? The gospel today is Christ died for our sins and rose again. Do Catholic leaders go around saying that? Sure they do. But they combine their gospel with idolatry and with doing works like feeding and clothing people. They're big on that and always have been. And they've been doing that for the many days of two millennia now. Divination's also associated with some other things in the Old Testament. Look at Jeremiah 14. In verse 14, the prophets prophesy lies in my name, I sent them not, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision, and what? And divination. In those days, if you claimed to be a prophet in Israel, but you were a false prophet, God called that a spirit of divination. Because you were claiming to speak for God, to divine, and you weren't saying what God was saying. Remember when Jeremiah told the Jews that you guys, you're going to be conquered by the Babylonians because of your sin and rebellion against God. Well, Jeremiah had to warn the Jews about what the false prophets were saying, didn't he? In Jeremiah 27, 14, and 15, he said, The prophets that speak unto you, saying... It'll never happen. Ye shall not serve the king of Babylon. They prophesy a lie unto you. God says, I have not sent them. They prophesy a lie in my name. Israel's prophet said, God's not going to punish us for our sins. They claimed to speak for God, but they didn't combination of divination and Judaism folks and today we got a combination of that very same kind of divination with Christianity because today we got pastors saying that God will punish us for our sins and in the dispensation of grace folks, he won't that spirit of divination has been around well, oh, if you read even the old time Bible commentaries and preachers, they've been saying that for centuries and centuries and centuries. For the many days of the dispensation of grace, that's been around all oh, probably almost as long as idolatry. Do you know how else Satan combined divination with Judaism? look at jeremiah twenty seven nine. Hearken not ye to your prophets, nor to your diviners, nor to your dreamers, or your enchanters, or your sorcerers. In the Old Testament, God spoke to his people in in dreams sometimes, right? And Satan had his people say that they dreamed things that God didn't say. And I bring that up. Because now he's trying to do it with Christianity. Just this past week, I heard from a brother, a grace man in Alabama named Greg, who emailed me with a lot of Bible questions. Dear brother. And by the way, might as well say hi to him. On the count of three. One, two, three. Say hi, Greg. One, two, three. Hi, Greg. <laughs> He watches our videos. Greg emails me and said, Pastor, There's a ton, he used the word ton, there's a ton of videos on YouTube right now with Christians claiming that God told them in a dream that the rapture is near. And he says people are posting more and more of them all the time. He says, check it out. He says, Google the words, you know, dreams, rapture dreams. I did. You know how many came up? 400,000. 400,000. the rapture might be near but if it is you can be sure God isn't telling anybody about it in a dream he does all his talking in his book in the dispensation of grace most people I find I dream about things I've been thinking about that's what they're doing Well, I don't have to tell you, sometimes there's just no helping people who combine divination with Christianity in areas like that. And the reason is because they don't want to give up their idols. And they don't want to believe you when when you try to tell them God's not punishing us today. They don't want to believe you that they didn't hear from God in a dream. But you know what? Sometimes there's that one. Sometimes one of us followers of Paul can cast a spirit of divination out of a guy, and you're seeing that typified here with Paul casting by the herd. And when that happens, Satan has to shift gears and try something else to try and stop the preachers of Paul's gospel, and it's something we see pictured in the next three verses in your text now. In uh, Acts 16 and verse 19. And when her masters, the damsel's masters, saw that the the hope of their gains was gone, he cast the demon out, she can't soothsay anymore. They caught Paul and Silas, and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. It's probably the chamber of commerce if the rulers are meeting in the marketplace. And brought them to the magistrates, the government rulers, saying, These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. And teach and cast out demons that are that we're making money off of? Is that what your Bible says? If it does, you need a new version. No! They charged them with teaching customs, which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. If you're going to rat somebody out to the Roman leaders, you charge them with breaking Roman laws, right? But here you see another way Satan tries to stop Paul's gospel. He seeks the law on us. Now, this was a trumped-up charge. The Jews didn't teach customs that were unlawful for Jews to receive. I'll give you a few examples. In Ezra 3:4, it says that the Jews offered the, the daily burnt offerings, according to what? According to the custom of the law of Moses. Then in Luke 1 and verse 9, it says, according to the custom of the priest's office, that priest's lot was to do what? Burn incense. Well, let me tell you, Rome didn't care if the Jews offered sacrifices, and they didn't care if they burned incense. They couldn't have cared less. Then there's the custom that the Lord's parents did for him. Luke 2.27 says the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. Well, that was talking about the Jewish custom of what? circumcising their sons on the eighth day. Rome didn't care if you circumcised your son on the eighth day. you didn't try to circumcise them. So, obviously, this is a trumped up charge against the Apostle Paul, and it's one that eventually got overturned after Paul did some jail time. But here's the thing, folks. It gets a little harder to win your court case if there's an element of truth to what they're charging you with. Look what they charge Paul with in your next reference in Acts 17.7. Talking about Paul and his helpers and his followers and his co-workers. It says, These all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, that there is another king, One, you want to get the attention of the Roman king? Told there's <laughs> some guys running around saying there's another king. Yeah. Now, if they'd have asked Paul about that, he would have said, "Well, it's true. Jesus is our king. He was certainly the king of the Jewish kingdom." Saints, right? And look what Paul tells you and I in Colossians 1, 12, and 13. The Father hath translated us into the kingdom, the overall kingdom of all the saved of all the ages of his dear son. And believe me, a kingdom, by definition, is a realm ruled by a king. By the way, if he's your king, you might want to resolve to obey him in 2023 if you're the kind of guy that likes to make New Year's resolutions. But like you know, Paul wasn't going around preaching that Christ was the king of the Romans, like they were accusing him of. He wasn't going around saying that the Romans should obey him. There's a lot of Christians going around saying that Americans should obey him. And some of those Christians are getting so angry about it, they want to overthrow the government. All in the name of the God of the Bible. If you haven't noticed that, you're not paying attention. I don't watch the news and I notice it. And all that does is bring the law down on the rest of us who aren't trying to overthrow the government. You know, back when the Jews were rebuilding Jerusalem after Nebuchadnezzar leveled it, you know how Satan got the work on rebuilding Jerusalem to stop? Well, he got, some, he got some unbelievers to remind the king that the Jews had been guilty of rebelling against the government in the past. And then they told the king, go ahead and check the history books and see if you don't believe us. And you know what? The king took him up on that. And then he said in Ezra 4, 19 and 21, I commanded, just like you told me to, and search has been made in the history books. And it is found that this city of Jerusalem of all time hath made insurrection against Cain. king. And that rebellion and sedition have been made in Jerusalem. So, what's he say to do about that? He gave the order cause those men rebuilding the city to cease, and cause that this city not be built. Now, listen if you really, really know your Old Testament, you know that was not a trumped up charge. Look what it says in 2 Kings 24 1. Mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came up and Jehoiakim, king of Israel became his servant for three years and then what happened? And Then he turned and rebelled against him and that wasn't the only king Second Kings 8, 18, I'm sorry verses 1 and 7 says Elah king of Israel rebelled against the king of Syria and served him not Now listen, God never told those kings to rebel against the government. God told the Jews, all the Jews, in Jeremiah 29.7, seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captive, and you pray the Lord for that city. Why? For in the peace thereof shall you have peace. You are guests of the city. Pray for the city. When those kings rebelled instead, it later brought the work on God's city and his temple to a screeching halt. So this is, you know, this is me on my soapbox. I talk about this often. If you want to you can go around telling Americans that they should obey Christ as their king when it comes to things like abortion and homosexuality and gay marriage and transgenderism but all that will do is bring power work to a screeching halt eventually you see it in the scriptures the more you do it the more they're going to associate you with those who are trying to overthrow the government in the name of the God of the Bible. And one of these days, that's going to come back to to haunt and burn a lot of Christians. Do you know how the Jews overcame their problem? A couple of things. A couple of things made the new king decide to let and build their city and their temple and one of those things was that he heard that Jews prayed for the peace of his city and when he heard that that king did exceeding abundantly above all the Jews could have asked or even sought to ask him to do you read about that in your last reference in Ezra, chapter 6, verses 3 and 8 through 10. Cyrus the king made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be builded. And in case you didn't know which particular house, he, the place where they offered their sacrifices, the temple. Moreover, I make a decree what ye shall do. Of the king's goods, even of the tribute, the tax money, expenses should be given to those men to help them rebuild the temple and the city. And wait, there's more, like an infomercial. And that which they have need of, both young bullocks and rams and lambs for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, let those be given to them day by day without fail. Don't you drop the ball on that. That Why? That they may offer sacrifices and do what? Pray for the life of the king and his sons. Don't you get all that? Cyrus commanded to let the Jews build Jerusalem and their temple with tax money, taxpayers' money. And that animals be given to them to sacrifice, also that they pray for the king and his sons. Well, we do that every Sunday. And the more we get known as a church that does that, the more likely it is they'll leave us alone and let us continue to do some building of our own the building of the church, which is the body of Christ. <laughs> Now, I'm not going to lie to you. Being innocent doesn't always work out. (laughs) Doesn't always keep you out of jail and prison, as you see in our last three verses, which pretty much all we have to do is read. Verse 22, the when they heard the accusations made against Paul, they said, well, let's have a court and you know, give him his day in court. Now the, the multitude rose up together against Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they just wouldn't quit beating on them, they cast them into prison charging the jailer to keep them safely. And the jailer, in verse 24, having received such a charge, he knew these guys were, they, they were probably going to kill him, folks. And he knew if he let them get away, it would be his life. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison, the dungeon, and made their feet fast in the stocks, those sandwich pieces of wood with the holes in them. Well, being innocent didn't keep <laughs> didn't keep Paul out of jail, folks, and it it won't always keep you out of jail either. But it was later found out that Paul was wrongfully arrested, and he was released. You know what that tells you? That tells you the more you act like Paul, the better off you'll be. Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we thank you for our faithful apostle. We sang about your great faithfulness this morning, but you gave us a great apostle, a faithful apostle, a faithful man of God. We found out what you wanted him to do, and he did it. God help us to walk in his footsteps. God help us to find out what you want us to do and to do it and not get sidetracked by anything else. We pray it in the Savior's name. Amen.